Thanks so much to our worship team. Super blessed by your ministry. How beautiful is that song? Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yeah, so good. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. I love it. I love it. And um, yeah, I love, again, that we can come and worship, you know, just be here in the house of the Lord, praise Him, um, and we can do it in freedom, truly. And not like a necessarily freedom from masks, but like freedom from sin, like freedom from what we deserved. Um, and it's, it's so beautiful that we get to be a part of that. You know, we, we've been on this series as a, as a church for the past three weeks, and uh, this series is called Walk in Truth. And as I kicked off this series two weeks ago, we looked at the topic of what is truth, right? Is truth some dist- distant, faraway destination that we get to by learning enough stuff, or is truth something else? And we settled on this idea that truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. He is alive. He is powerful. He is working in our lives in this world, and he speaks to us through his word, which is truth. And last week, Murray gave a beautiful sermon. I've had so much positive feedback on that one. If you haven't watched it, you can find it on Facebook or YouTube, just under Gold Coast Central Church. I'd strongly encourage you to check it out because he talks about how it is that we can get the most out of our time with God's Word, right? It is a book that is, you know, it's not just a book, right? It's more than a book. It's a, it's a, it's a play. It's a drama. It's a, it's a living, breathing story of God's interactions with humanity. And there's this climax in there with a man called Jesus, and we're going to talk more about that today. But today's message is going to center on a question, on a question, right? But before I share that question, this is my title. It's called Belts and Swords, and I've got my little sword here, um, Captain Feather Swords sword. It's a bit fluffy, but hopefully we'll be able to use it in just a moment. But the question I wanted to build this message on is this. Oh, that's not the question. I got my slides wrong. Okay, that's all right. Who knows what this game is? Age of Empires. This was my favorite game as a kid. And uh, my dad found it in a cereal box, I believe. Um, That's how we acquired this game. At least that's the story I have. Was that right? Yep. That's why you get parents that support you, because they just say, yes, whatever you say. So good. Um, So yeah, we acquired this game through a cereal box, and it was my absolute favorite game growing up. Um, You got to like build empires, and you got to battle, and I just became like obsessed with medieval things, right? It's still like a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine, like reading books from that era, watching uh, TV shows from that era. Um, And the reason I share that is because like I just became obsessed with this idea of swords and fighting and stuff like that. And, And I think a lot of the time as Christians, the way we think about truth in God's word is we think of it as like a sword, right? A sword that we can use to cut through all the, the stuff that goes on in this world, right? A, a sword that can um, prod and poke maybe us or others who aren't quite lining up to where they need to be. Um, but, but as I said, the title of this message is Belts and Swords. We're going to look at what is truth. And not just what is truth, but what is our obligation to the truth that we believe? Like, what do we do with truth? If we believe it, what do, what do we do with that? Do we use it as a sword to keep people in line? Or is there something else that the Word of God teaches us? So we're going to pray and jump right in. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that we can come together and we can read your word. Lord, that we're not trying to figure out our way through this life alone, but you are with us, you guide us, you love us. And Father, I pray that as we unpack two amazing passages today, Father, that you would speak to us, that you would rid me of myself, that you would give every single one of us receptive hearts to what you're doing and what you have to say. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, if you have a Bible, uh, I want to invite you to turn right to the end of it, all right? We're not going to go to Revelation, but a couple of books before it. We're going to go to a book called 1 John. And in 1 John, there's a very, very interesting passage where the author, whose name is John, he writes about truth, and he writes about our obligation to truth. You see, if you believe truth, but you do nothing with it, 
then is it really a truth worth holding on to, right? There's something we need to do with the truth that we believe. And John talks about that here in 1 John chapter 3. So big number 3, little number 18 is where we're going to start. Chapter 3, verse 18 in 1 John, he says this. He says, Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Right? Let us not merely say that we love each other. Say that you love each other. That's, that's important. That's good. But let us not merely say that we love each other. He says, let us show the truth by our actions. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. And there's a very important concept that we need to grasp onto here that if you forget everything else, don't forget this. Truth and love build on each other. They're not separate forces when we're talking about being followers of Jesus. The truth that you believe about God and the love that you have for him and for others, they need to be working together. They're not balancing acts. They come together. They build on each other. And that's what we see right at the start here. He says, don't just say that you love other people. Show the truth by your actions. And this next line is really important to understand properly as well because at times we can say, well, what you do shows who you belong to, Right? The way that you practice your faith or the way that you worship or, or the, the team you support shows who you belong to. And we say, okay, well, the truth we believe and what we do with that, say, for instance, Seventh-day Adventists, we believe in a Seventh-day Sabbath. So um, the, the truth you believe, you practice the Sabbath, and that shows that you belong to the Seventh-day Adventist church. Right? That's, what a lot of people, that's how a lot of people understand that. But if, if you reflect on this language, it doesn't actually say that your actions achieve your belonging. It says your actions show you belong. You already have belonging in Jesus before you live out the truth that you believe. And that's so important to grasp because from the outset, we can't take truth and be like, okay, well, it's then a measuring stick for how close someone is with God. The way they live their life is the measuring stick then. You're doing for God can't earn what believing in God has already given you. In Jesus, you have belonging. Right? If you decide to be a follower of Jesus, you have belonging in his love. And then by default, you have belonging in his family. Unfortunately, what a lot of people have done is they've said, well, on behalf of Jesus, as one of his followers, I'm going to say you belong and you don't belong because this is what you've done. But what this passage is telling us is that your actions show something that is already true for you, which is that you belong in Jesus. And maybe, maybe that's breaking ground for someone today because for the longest time they've thought, well, I don't quite measure up, therefore I don't belong. That is not what the gospel of Jesus is about. The gospel of Jesus says you are loved, you belong, you are cared for, you have purpose, you have a secure identity, you have a place where you can build your life on. And that's what you get by believing in Jesus. That's the starting point, right? Truth and living out truth and believing truth are good things but they're not like a ladder that you climb that gets you closer or further up in your relationship with God. By believing in Jesus, you have what living out truth reveals through you. Let us, not, sorry, let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show we belong already. You belong already. Right? You come in these doors, you belong. That's why one of our values is being socially inclusive. We don't do it perfect all the time. That's what we aim for. Because we believe this. We believe that when you follow Jesus, even if you, don't, you belong here in this space, because we are called to express love to everyone. Everyone that walks in these doors experiences love. And your doing for God can't earn you something that you're believing in God hasn't already given you. 
Let's keep reading. John says, our actions will show we belong to the truth, right? That's what we just read. We will be confident when we stand before God. This is our actions show we belong to the truth so that we will be confident. Interesting. So who's living out the truth for? Is it for God? It's for us. So that we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. I dug a bit deeper into this passage, and in the original Greek, the word for guilt there is actually a self-imposed thing. It's not to say someone else has condemned me or judged me, and so I feel guilty. It's actually, another translation could be, when you condemn yourself, when you think you don't measure up, when you might feel shame or guilt, when you feel down, when you feel that way, God is greater. Don't miss that. When you're your worst enemy, God is your most powerful ally. Maybe you've been held back by shame, by fear, by guilt. Maybe you felt like for the longest time you don't measure up and you've held yourself at arm's distance from everything church-related because you're like, I I don't belong here. God is greater. The love of Jesus is greater. The power of God is greater. We will be confident when we stand before God, even if we feel guilty, because God is greater and He knows everything. That means He knows your heart. He knows what you've done, and he still chooses to love you. He still welcomes you in. He still offers you belonging. That's good news, church. It's good news. Obedience isn't for God's benefit. It's for us. That might be a bit of a a mindset switch, wouldn't it? Hang on. Aren't I doing all these things so that God will like me better? What this passage says, it says that we will be confident when we stand before God because we're living the way that he's told us to live. It comes back to the idea of like our, our doing for God isn't going to achieve for us something that our believing in God has already given us. You already have belonging in Jesus. If you place your faith in him, you have belonging. You're safe within his love. So therefore, what you do for him isn't going to make that more or less. What it's going to do is it's going to start training you and changing you to be the person that he wants you to be. Because when you become that kind of person, you'll be confident when you stand before him. God has a way that he wants us to live, but it's not so that he can make clones of himself that you know, have, have no beauty or freedom or choice. He wants us to live lives that honor and glorify him because that is the best way to live your life. The God who created you wants to show you the best way how to live your life, and that is to walk in truth. It's to walk in truth. John goes on, he says, Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, it means we can come to God with a bold confidence. Right? So when we're not condemning ourselves, we can come to God with confidence. And we'll receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. I don't know about you, but every time I do something wrong, whether it's deliberate or accidental, I I feel like a a little bit less confident when I go to God. Right? I feel a bit more fearful I feel a bit more down, I feel a bit more shameful, I feel a bit more guilty when I do things that are wrong. But again, when you're your own worst enemy, God's your most powerful ally. God is for you, he loves you, he doesn't want you to be held back by shame, by guilt, by fear, by self-condemnation. He doesn't want you to be held back by, by pride, by arrogance or anything. He wants you to come to him. He wants us to walk in truth because it means we can live the lives that he's called us to live, And that's what this year has been all about, about walking in the way. And this is his commandment, right? So if you say, okay, what is I need to do? This is his 
commandment. He says, we must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. We need to love God, and we need to love other people. If you want a bit of a deeper picture of that, you can go to the things like the Ten Commandments. If you want a deeper, more clear picture of that, you can look at the Gospels. Look at those books about Jesus where he puts this on display. He says, this is what it means to love God and to love other people. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him. They remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. You might be wondering, what's that about? If you want to receive God's spirit, right? part of the Godhead, God with us, he says, you need only ask and I'll, I'll give it to you. He uses the illustration of a father. It's Father's Day, funnily enough. He says, how many of you, if your father, so if you ask your father for an egg, will give you a, a, is it a stone or a snake? It's one of the two. But it's like a, a crazy example there. He says, if, if your earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give the spirit to those who ask him? So you need only ask and God will give you the Spirit. He wants to give you the Spirit more than you want to have it, right? And the Spirit will be a guide, it will be a comforter, it will be an encourager. If you feel like you're getting caught in condemnation, in shame, if you feel like you're being down on yourself, remember that there is God's Spirit who wants to come into your life and change you from the inside out. He wants to draw you into a deeper expression of love. Sometimes when we think about truth and love, I mentioned we kind of think of it like scales, right? We see them as like opposite forces, that we need to kind of balance out and make sure that we're kind of ticking all the boxes. You know, we, we look at um, that, that concept of, of a scale and we think, okay, well, they kind of pull against each other, right? I, I want to love people really well, but then there's truths that seem to challenge them and might make them feel bad or guilty. And this is sometimes the picture that we have of truth and love. But I think a, a better picture to help us understand the way that the Bible talks about it is this. It's like a fire, Right? Where truth is like the wood and love is the flames. Love is the flames, right? So, so when you build a fire, you kind of you start small, but you've got, you got to have some key elements. You've got to have some kindling. You've got to have um, some tim- tinder as well. You've got to have some little bits that are going to build it up. But if you go and then pile 50 logs on top of a little baby fire, it's going to go out straight away, isn't it? But as you go over time, as you add logs on, the flame's going to start to grow, right? The flame's going to get bigger. And so as you continue to go and build bigger and bigger logs, you could just keep going, right? You can keep going forever and add a bigger and bigger fire until you run out of wood, of course. But I think the point of this illustration is clear, and it's that like, you need truth and you need love to be working together if you want to have a growing, loving relationship with Jesus. Right? And so when it comes to the way we think about them, think about it like a fire. Think about the love that you have for other people. How is the truth you believe impacting the way you love other people? Because if they're pulling against each other, maybe you need to put some thought into, have I got this right? Am I thinking about this the right way? Because truth, genuine truth, is going to deepen your experience of love. Love received from God and love sent out to others. And so I've got one story I'm going to share. And this story is going to illustrate in very clear terms what this looks like in practice. I've been talking a bit conceptually, a bit ambiguously, but we're going to look at a story now. That's going to illustrate this a bit more. It's in John chapter 8. So same author as the passage we just read, but it's a few books earlier. In the Gospel of John, we read this story. There's, there's a man in here named Jesus, and he, he returns to the Mount of Olives, which is a place that appears elsewhere in Scripture. But it says, early in the morning, he was back again at the temple. This is the temple in Jerusalem, the center of the faith of his people. 
the temple in Jerusalem. And a crown suit gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. It was very clear that this woman was living outside of the truth. And the people who were the custodians of the truth, right? the people whose role it was to teach, to preach, to learn, to grow, the religious leaders and the, the teachers, they had seen this happening, this woman living outside of truth, and so they brought her to Jesus. This woman was sleeping with the husband of another woman, and that was considered uh, an act that was worthy of death in their culture, in their time. And the language here is pretty intense, because in the, in the Greek it says, like, the woman was literally thrown in the center. So imagine someone's dragged into church through that door, and they're thrown in the center here, and Jesus is, is here teaching, and there's a woman that's put there, and the teacher says, what do you say we have to do with her? What do you say we have to do with her? She's living outside of the truth. She's done the wrong thing. How are truth and love going to work in this situation? Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. I want you to picture this for a moment. So there's a woman here, she's on the ground, and there are Pharisees, these leaders, these spiritual, essentially the pastors and leaders of that time, were there pointing fingers, standing around her. And when they said, Jesus, what do you say we should do? The first thing he does, he doesn't even respond. The first thing he does is he gets down onto her level. Don't miss that visual picture there, right? When the leaders or whoever it is that is pointing down and judging her and condemning her, she probably feels bad enough herself and they're shaming her. The first thing Jesus does is he gets down on her level. And that's the beautiful thing about truth is that as we learn truth, as we discover truth, it doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us closer to God. It makes us realize how close God is to us. It makes us realize how close Jesus is to us. The first thing Jesus does is he gets down on his knees and he starts writing. We don't know exactly what Jesus was writing. There's a few different understandings or interpretations of what he may have been writing, but it doesn't say. An important question to reflect on, does truth make your head bigger or your heart? Because for the Pharisees, what it had done is it had pumped them up. It had inflated their sense of self-importance, their egos, to the point where when they saw, something doing, saw someone doing something wrong... They thought their obligation was to call them out, to bring them in, and to judge them straight away. Where was the man here? Where was the man that was caught in adultery? That's a conversation for another time. We'll leave that there for now. <laughs> but, th but does truth, does it make our heads bigger or our hearts bigger? An important question to reflect on, because at times a lot of Christians have done very unchristian things in the name of Christ. Right? You don't have to look too deep into the history books to see people doing terrible things in the name of Jesus. Jesus, the one who is truth. Right? In his name, people had inflated their own egos to the point where it had made their hearts smaller. But what Jesus puts on display is that when you have a clear picture of truth, it doesn't make your head bigger, it makes your heart bigger. So the first thing he does is he gets down onto his knees and he gets to the level of the woman that is there. The Pharisees kept demanding an answer, though. So he stood up again, and he said, All right, okay, this is the truth, this is what we believe. But let the one who has never sinned 
cast the first stone. And so what does he do after he said that? He gets back down again, he stoops down again, and he writes in the dust. Again, truth helps you realize that Jesus is closer to you than you could ever imagine. So many people have misunderstandings of God, and and they don't believe in a God who, who is so different to the God that we believe. We believe that God is love, that that God is graceful, that he's merciful, that he's compassionate, that he has a plan for your life. You can find belonging, you can find purpose, you can find identity in him. That is such a beautiful God. That's a God I want to follow. But there are so many people that have misunderstandings of who God is. They see him as a God who's far away, a God who's sitting there with a sword, ready to cut down anyone who does the wrong thing. Do they see God as someone who, who is condemning, who is, who is judgmental, who, who doesn't understand, who is distant, who doesn't care? And they don't understand who God is. But when we do understand who God is, discerning that and learning that should help us realize not that we're better, but how, better, how much better God is. It helps us realize just how close Jesus is to us. So when the accusers heard this, when Jesus said, let the one without sin throw the first stone. When they heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. So Jesus is there, the woman's there, and the condemners, those voices that were judging her, were gone. I want you to think about yourself. Are there any voices in your head that are condemning you? Maybe it was something that was said to you years ago. Maybe something wasn't said at all. Maybe it was just a feeling that you got because of the way someone looked at you. Maybe it's a voice of yourself in your head. Are there any voices, are there any words, are there any phrases in your life that are stopping you from being alone with Jesus? Maybe there's a doubt. Maybe there's an anxiety. Maybe there's a fear. Maybe there's a worry. Maybe you're condemning yourself. Maybe you see yourself not measuring up and you're like, I can't can't be alone with Jesus because I don't belong there. I don't deserve to be there. Whatever voices you find in your head that are holding you back from diving in with Jesus, I want to invite you today to release them. They have no place. They're not truth. If they're separating you from Jesus, they're not truth because truth is Jesus. Truth is a person and he is bending down. He's reaching out. The Bible says he's knocking on the door, the door of your heart. He wants to come in. He wants to be with you. So whatever voices might be in your head, I want, to invite them to, I want to invite you to release them today to say, these aren't the voices I'm going to listen to. Because when only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman, that's when Jesus speaks to her. When those others are gone, that's when Jesus speaks. So he stands up again and says to the woman, he says, where are your accusers? They're gone. Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus says, neither do I. Remembering, he was the one who was without sin. Remember when he said, let the one without sin throw the first stone? Jesus was the one. But what does he choose to do with that? He says, neither do I, so go and sin no more. There is no condemnation in Jesus no matter how far removed you might feel from being in the right place, from being where you should be, there is no condemnation in Jesus. 
Paul says in, in Romans 8, he says, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. None at all. If you want a safe place to secure your identity, a safe place to build your life upon, you can find that in the love of Jesus. Because Jesus, in Jesus, we see the perfect picture of love. So much so that he gave his own life for you. When he was hanging on the cross, he took upon himself the sin of all humanity for all time. And he paid a price that you and I deserve to pay. He lived a perfect life, but died. He didn't sin, but he paid the price for your sin and for my sin. But then he didn't stay dead. He raised from the dead. And that means that he is alive. Truth is alive. Truth is powerful. It is a person. And he wants to have a relationship with you. No matter where you find yourself today, church, Jesus is calling. He's reaching out to you. He wants to know you. And so when it comes to truth, this is my big idea for today. It is that truth draws us into a deeper experience of love. What's our obligation to truth? It's this. It's to be drawn into a deeper experience of love. That's both love received and love lived out. As we study the Bible, as we, as we learn truth, may it draw us into a deeper experience of love. May we come to realize just how deep, just how wide, just how far, just how high the love of Christ is for us. And as we learn that, may it change our hearts. May we realize, wow, this is a love that I want to be working in me and a love that I want to show to other people. So it's love received and love sent out, a deeper experience of love. And so as I close up today, I want to invite the band back up. I'm going to share just some really practical things that we can do to, to live this out, to work it out in our days and our ways. And so as we make it stick, remember truth isn't a sword. If you go to the armor of God, there's a list there and it says that truth is a belt. Literally the word there is just like a girdle that would cover this part of your body when you went into battle. It was a leather girdle that would go around and protect you. Right? It's not a sword. The Bible says like, that the word of God can, can act like a sword. It can cut through soul, through soul and spirit. But it says the belt of truth. It holds things together. It holds things up. It maintains and restores dignity. So as we make it stick, remember, truth is relational, not just informational. Right? Truth isn't just something to make us feel smarter or to grow our intellect. Truth is relational. Truth enhances our ability to receive love and to give love. So as we study the Bible, ask yourself the question, how does this help me receive love or share love better? Truth is relational. Secondly, truth draws. It doesn't push. Our vision at church here is to draw our community into a loving relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, as I am lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. That's why we're all about lifting up the name of Jesus, because he says, I will draw them unto me. The, the force of love, the, that power of love, isn't a love that pushes people over the edge. It's one that draws them into a safer place, into a comforting place, into an encouraging place, into a, a value-driven place. Truth draws. How is God drawing you? What's he drawing you to now? And finally, truth fuels us to love well. Not just to love, but to love well. If you want to love better, 
You can go to God's word. You can look at Jesus and you will see there time and time again examples of how we can love others better. So, so church, I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes now. I'm about to pray. I want you to think about, is there a commitment you want to make in your own heart today? Maybe for the longest time, you've, you've been your own worst enemy. Maybe you've been held back by shame. Maybe you've judged yourself. Maybe you've thought you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't love studying the Bible enough to be accepted into God's family. Those are lies from the enemy. Because in Jesus, you have belonging. You have acceptance. You have purpose. And nothing can change that. Nothing. Maybe you've been listening to some voices. Maybe there's been some voices in there for the longest time that have said, you've got to be like this for Jesus to accept you. You've got to do this for Jesus to accept you. I want to invite you to release those voices and to get some time alone with Jesus right here in this moment, just you and Jesus. And say, I want to be with you, Jesus. Ask him to speak. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you want to experience a a deeper experience of love and you want to make a commitment to that. Maybe for the first time you've decided that you want to follow Jesus. Whatever decision you've made in your heart or even if you're still contemplating it now, I just invite you right now in this moment to give it to Jesus to commit to Jesus. He's not looking down on you, pointing his finger. He's on his knees, reaching out, trying to help you. And so Jesus, we thank you that you're with us in this place. Lord, we give you the honor and the glory and the praise for who you are. You are a God of truth and you are a God of love. And may we be people of truth and people of love, not trying to balance them out, but on a journey towards learning how they work together, how they build on each other. And and may that flame of of love that grows within us, may it be fueled by truth and may it grow so bright and so warm that people are just drawn unto this place, not because of how great we are or whatever we do, Lord. May they they just see you, Jesus. May they see you lifted up in us. And as they see that, may they be drawn unto you. May they come to know you and to love you as we do. This is our prayer today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.